1: buckle up everybody hello and welcome to the Mary Rose this is not Alex gone gruff this is Matt pretending to be gruff as I'm filling in in the chair this evening as we welcome you all to our virtual pub and like all good pubs it's going to be the eavesdropping in on somebody else's conversation that's going to be the most exciting thing of it so we're a bit light on light on the ground tonight we have our our usuals but a few have bailed on us so they will be forever damned with not showing up but we will start this evening by talking to our judges because they usually get left to the end in these things. So we're going to go to the boss lady, Alina. How are you? How is Poland?
3: Hello. We have snow, but it's melting. Thank God.
1: I. You see, I'm with you. Growing up in a snowy country, I hate the stuff. But then you have all these strange English people who think it's the most amazing thing in the world.
3: Like Beth, who is shaking. Oh, and Charlotte, the the, the two love magic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's like Frozen. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. We're going to come back to Frozen in a minute. Um,
3: yes, I, I, I
1: don't get it. Anyways, it's good to hear from you. Hopefully, the dogs are behaving themselves and not licking inappropriate things anymore.
3: Keep going, keep going. Otherwise, I'm going
4: to make a really dirty comment. Keep
1: going. <laughs> Anyways, let's move swiftly on from that. Holmes, how are you this evening?
4: Not, not too bad. I mean, it was interesting noting you and Alina's comments about snow. I mean, I went for a walk in a a slushy, ran a slushy part of uh, Southwest London on uh, Sunday afternoon and came across a dildo. And I, we don't get to snow that often. I just wondered if that was, you know, you and Alina saw that on a regular basis. You know, when you were in your respective countries.
1: Well, it's usually snowy for many, many months. So once it snows, all the garbage reappears, and you do find some interesting things from time to time.
5: So, no comment. <laughs> i'm I'm surprised i'm surprised you haven't got it behind you holmes after that bbc wales thing went viral with the poor woman with the well object on her bookcase behind her yeah i've object.
6: Yeah. Dive, object. <laughs>
5: <laughs> i mean and, and matt we've got you as a as
4: a guest sort of landlord for tonight which we hope you'll be just a no you won't try and change things you won't be one of those landlord that comes in paints the outside of the pub sort of gray and introduces like olive oil and bread as a sort of starter on the menu as well we don't want that type of thing around here
1: no no pork 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 scratchings and nuts is all you're getting good to hear <laughs> right let's let's go to the bottom right hand corner Kate in sunny Spain you said it was 21 degrees the other day and basically we all hate you for that
0: yeah, it was lovely. It's been really sunny. We did have a bit of rain last week, but um, on the whole, yeah, really sunny. Lockdown, so lots of time in the garden. So,
1: yeah, not we too had bad. a bit <laughs> of rain last week. Damn you, Kate. Damn you.
0: <laughs> We've got a bit coming up at the end of next week as well, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'll, send, we'll send you some of ours with love.
0: Thanks. Don't you, you keep it? It's fine.
1: No, you okay. Well, in that case, we will told you um <laughs> chris let's go to the other bottom corner chris how are you this evening
7: yeah i'm, I'm doing good thanks how are you guys doing
1: Oh, well, we're, we're, we're very well we just thought we'd ask you because yeah whenever i see you on these things, you look half asleep so it's always good just to make sure you're still with us
7: <laughs> yes yeah, long days at work <laughs> just want to yeah
1: <laughs> uh, to cheer you up here just for the 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 wonders of radio that no one can see that. Look at that, your book arrived today, so. Yay. Yay. so what do you
7: They'll that, that, fight the toilet paper shortage. I mean, it's good, <laughs> buy it, everyone should buy it.
1: The, um, yeah, it looks good. The pages are a bit glossy, so we might have to work something out with that, but.
7: Okay, let's go yeah, top sure left. Cl- absorbent enough.
1: <laughs> I'll report back and let you know. There may even be photos. Um, Clive, how are you this evening?
5: Very well indeed, thank you.
1: How's, how's your last week been away from us?
5: Oh, it's been tragically, tragic being away from you. Although I was contacted by Julie Carlson from California, who has apparently listened to every single History Hack podcast, which is really quite extraordinary. She was taking issue about us slagging off American presidents. <laughs> but I had to explain to her that there are, it was far harder to find bad American presidents and bad British monarchs.
1: True true that. What, what was her name again? Let's give her a good shout out.
5: Julie Carlson. She lives in Southern California. Well,
1: Julie, you're bound to be listening. So hello, we're all waving at you. And you've achieved, well, more than me because I haven't listened to all of them. I just listened to the one I'm in. <laughs> Right. We so we, we've got good news. Kit's in an Airbnb, which I, I'm not sure how long that's been because I missed last week. But how, how is your new
6: dig, sir? It's lovely. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm in a very posh bit of Southampton. I've got a bed and I've got a cooker and I've got a nice place to do some work. It's lovely. Well,
1: you got one of those fancy Airbnbs that actually has a bed, not just a picture of one when you walk in.
6: There is actually a full-sized double bed, which is which is kind of rare in the Airbnbs. Wonderful. Well, that, 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 that's
1: giving me rosy ro- rosy feelings, knowing that you're sort of in a semi humane
6: space. Yeah, there's now. space for me and Amelia in the bed. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Amelia's catered for. It's fine,
6: guys. <laughs> the, the, those pictures
1: of Amelia that you posted this week were shocking. To be fair,
6: mate, but. I'm oh, just I'm, glad I need something to do, so I've been a, a,
5: putting hair on her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad to, le- to learn that she's got somewhere to rest her head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what why let, let's let's move swiftly on, shall we? And let's go to Charlie. How are you?
9: I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, plugging on through. So aside from working on my nomination for today, I'm also Editing a book, and I've been simultaneously working on two stories of people being hung, drawn, and quartered. So I'm ready for all the gruesome grisliness tonight. Wonderful. Yeah, Yeah, it's good fun stuff.
5: I think Elena's found something.
9: (laughs) Yes. Oh my God.
3: Someone screen grabbed that. Please don't post this on Twitter. <laughs> they say Marcus isn't here,
8: so you're safe.
9: <laughs> or is she? So this, she's this, also
1: this is going to be the first down the pub that actually we put the video on YouTube.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Shit. She's also changed her name, you might notice. It's apparently she's Scottish.
4: I was gonna, is the, the scottish prefix is slightly to the surname slightly unnecessary isn't
3: it <laughs> <laughs> hold on ladies and gentlemen i, I just bear with me one moment i've not heard of the clan mcdildo
1: <laughs> they're, they're the ones with the really short kilts
3: That's <laughs> better ladies and gentlemen
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's better deloski oh, exactly. did i get the pronunciation right <laughs>
3: I, I assume so. I
1: assume so. <laughs> right. So we, we we we've saved the best for last because I do have an apology for for Beth. I I I I ruined Frozen for her by sharing a little video of basically Frozen versus I think it was Bad Boys One, wasn't it? And um Bad Boys Two. Was it was a Bad Boys Two, yes. Right. To be fair, they're <laughs> essentially the same movie, but so I, I I send sincere apologies for shattering dis dis Disney fluffiness
8: for you. Today. Apology not accepted. <laughs> you just heard, I I was at work on my lunch break and I was watching it and I actually screamed like like <gasps> I was having my lunch and everyone was looking at me like Is she okay like they were expecting some horrific news that I told them and they all just looked at me and I was, they were like is this really what you know they all like. like yes this is the kind of thing that upsets me i am a child i own it so yeah i was i was really taken aback (laughs) i think for me
1: the best the bit that even thinking about it's making me laugh is the kid in the car screaming because that's kind of i imagined you
8: (laughs) (laughs) i am i am that person i own that though wonderful I
1: I I say wonderful far too much but I mean it in this case because there we go. And I'm I'm really excited because I I get to I get to sit here and basically shake my head at all of you for for the evening without having to worry about losing to Charlie yet again.
2: <laughs> so
1: this week's debate I think is the world's unluckiest person and we have some crackers today. Um and we go quite globe globetrotty, we've, 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 we've got a good gender split, so I think we're going to not upset too many um, woke PR assistants in, 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 um, in this week, which will be good. So why don't we kick things off? Um, I'm actually going to start with Kate in the hopes, if she goes first, she might change her picture because it's worse than the dildo. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: sorry, picture's not going to change. Oh. I can't do it when I'm on a call. Once, in, I'm, in, once which I'm, case, like in a meeting.
1: In, in which case, why don't you explain to all the wonderful people out there in listener world who the scary man is that you've got a picture of on our
0: Zoom call? <laughs> right. So, um, for my story this week, I would like to take you back to a cold, rainy night in Croatia, January 1962. A train hurtling across a canyon. The train flew off the tracks and crashed into a river. Someone dragged a man to safety, but didn't make it back in time to save a second person. All of the other passengers drowned. The rescued man suffered a broken arm and mild hypothermia. And that's the man you see in the picture. His name was Frayne Selak, or rather is Frayn Selak. The following year, he took his first and last airplane flight. One of the plane's doors malfunctioned, and frame was blown out of the aircraft. He landed in a haystack. The plane then crashed, killing 19 people. Three years later, he was taking a short bus ride. When the bus skidded off the road into a river, four passengers drowned. Frane Selak swam to shore with only a few cuts and bruises. After this, he took to driving himself closest in his car. Public transport seemed a bit risky. In 1970, his car randomly caught fire and he only just managed to escape before the fuel tank exploded. Another three years passed and he was driving again when hot oil from a malfunctioning fuel pump doused the engine and turned the air vents into flamethrowers. All of his hair was singed off, but he was otherwise unharmed. Fast forward a couple of decades, Frame was in Zagreb minding his own business. When he was run over by a bus, once again, he walked away with only minor injuries. In 1996, He managed to avoid a head-on collision with a United Nations truck on a mountain bend by swerving. His car lost control and hit a guardrail, which gave way under the force of the impact. He was ejected from the car when the door flew open. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He managed to hold on to a tree and watched his car plummet 300 foot down into a gorge. Yet again, he escaped unscathed. So that's a train wreck, a plane crash, a bus crash, two car explosions being run over and a traffic collision. He's also survived six marriages. I'm not sure, really, if he's the unluckiest person or the luckiest.
2: Ooh.
1: Are you still there, Kate?
0: I am, yeah. I, I lost you for a minute. I had no sound. Oh.
1: So the last we got is he, he survived six marriages, which yeah, is that borderline as well as lucky that. Unlucky thing.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if he's the unluckiest person or the luckiest.
4: I mean... It- The fact he survived six marriages suggests that he was married quite a few times. I mean, with all this driving around and, you know, transport accidents, was he going from like affair to affair? And that's what sort of caused all these in the first place.
0: I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) I don't don't really know. I don't know a tremendous amount about him. There's not you can't really find out sort of much more about him than than what I've said. Um, so. So do we know he's still alive
4: or
0: not? He is still alive. Yeah, he's 91, I think. Okay. And so
4: how, do, we, do we think they, all of these... Sorry, Lee, Do we think all these actually happen? I mean, some of them may have happened. Are they all true? Mm-hmm. Or did he decide to throw in the plane crash to make it sound a bit different?
0: I don't know. I, uh, like I say, you can't find out that much information about him, but he's generally considered to be the unluckiest, luckiest person in the world. Didn't he win the lottery? <laughs> he did, yeah. Yeah, after... Uh, he was about... Uh, mid to late 70s, I think, or he might even have been into his 80s. And he won the lottery. He won um, nearly a million quid, I think, about eight, eight or nine hundred thousand pounds. He gave it all away.
1: Uh-huh. Well, after six marriages, you'd want to give it away, wouldn't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> how, many, how many incidents was this in total that he was part of? Seven. Oh, so he was unlucky enough to be involved in, in seven incidents, but he was lucky enough to survive them all.
3: Right, notes taken. I'm actually listening, people. I'm actually listening. Wow. Cool. Thanks.
2: I'm I'm, I'm, I'm
1: slightly shocked. Yeah, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) I was expecting,
3: you know, some fanfare, some cheering, clapping. I clapped! Okay. (laughs) Okay,
1: so we... The Scary Man is borderline the luckiest or the unluckiest person to have ever lived and yeah to be fair who hasn't been run down by a UN truck once in their lifetime (laughs) um (laughs) thank you very (laughs) much Kate um I'm gonna go diagonally here we're gonna do like a Hollywood squares thing you got to the top corner there for Clive
5: okay Hurricanes are tropical cyclones that develop in the warm waters of the North Atlantic Ocean off Africa's west coast or in the Caribbean. More precisely, according to the National Hurricane Center's glossary, a hurricane is a tropical cyclone in which the maximum sustained surface wind using US one-minute average is 64 knots, 74 miles an hour or 119 kilometres an hour or more. The term hurricane is used for North northern hemisphere tropical cyclones east of the International Date Line to the Greenwich Meridian. The term typhoon is used for Pacific tropical cyclones north of the equator west of the International Date Line. Hurricanes pick up energy from the warm waters of the tropical and semi-tropical Atlantic and move westwards. Many blow out at sea and break up, the only remnants being wet August weekends in England. A good number, however, make landfall in the Americas. Hurricane tracking is a science that has developed hugely in the past few years. In the past, hurricanes were only known when they hit land. Ships and planes disappeared at sea, and the Bermuda Triangle was blamed. Historical records of hurricanes are sparse. Shakespeare's Tempest, supposedly set in Bermuda, relied upon the evidence of early explorers and settlers, Bermuda itself was colonised by mariners shipwrecked in such a storm. But it is only since satellite technology gave us a view of the oceans that we have come to learn more about these powerful and destructive forces, where they arise and where they go. Prediction is still in its infancy. A bit of background. The National Hurricane Centre monitors storms and, their, and models their expected tracks. These are always given with wide ranges of Of possibility. They are named in these enlightened times. They are no longer all female but alternate between female and male names. There's a five-year cycle of names and names are retired if the storm makes landfall and there are fatalities. A look at a chart of known landfalls of hurricanes shows the outline of the coast of North and Central America intersected by storms throughout its entire length. They can and do hit anywhere from the Canadian border and occasionally north of there, to Panama. Some have even made landfall in Europe, the first in 2005, another in 2017. The hurricane season runs officially from 1st June to 30th November, with most activity in August and September, where the seas are warmest and thus provide most energy to the storms. The storms are destructive. Billions of dollars of damage can be caused by a single storm. Thousands of people can be killed. While most fatalities tend to occur in Central America and the Caribbean, most economic loss occurs in the USA. And over recent years, coastal development in states such as Florida has raised the amounts in peril. That said, like in Hertfordshire, Herefordshire and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly happen. Actually, they don't really happen in those counties. The October 1987 storm was a severe windstorm and not a hurricane. On this point, Michael Fish was correct. Most people will be unlucky if they endure one hurricane. Those living close to the coast in the most perilous regions may suffer more, but most people survive and their homes remain intact. Poor Melanie Martinez is not so lucky. In 1965, the resident of Braithwaite, Louisiana, just outside New Orleans, on the banks of the Mississippi River, was only three years old when Hurricane Betsy the second worst hurricane to make landfall in the US, when measured by a combination of both size and intensity, struck. And her family home was destroyed, Men- Melanie and her family made homeless. Betsy, with winds of up to 140 miles an hour, left a trail of devastation throughout the southeastern states, but Louisiana bore the brunt. New Orleans was underwater for 10 days as the levees broke. It was a miserable time for those affected. Melanie enjoyed 20 calm years after Betsy. As her family rebuilt their home, she grew up and got a job as a school bus driver. And then at the end of October 1985, Hurricane Juan weaved a circuitous route around the Gulf, killing nine oil workers and the offshore rigs before making landfall and bringing with it, in addition to winds of 85 miles an hour, 10 inches of rainfall in a few hours. Once again, Melanie was made homeless. This time, she had only 13 years to rebuild her home and her life before Hurricane Georges entered the fray. Georges ripped through the Caribbean islands before skirting the Florida Keys and then making landfall in Louisiana. It killed 604 people and caused $9.37 billion worth of damage. Winds reached a maximum of 155 miles an hour. Once again, Melanie's home was written off. She didn't have so long to wait for the next one. Only seven years later, in uh, 2005, when the paint in her new home was barely dry, she would have woken up on the morning of the 29th August in trepidation as the most destructive hurricane to hit the US, although only fifth biggest in terms of size and intensity, crashed through New Orleans, smashed the levees, replaced and reinforced after Betsy. $120 billion of economic loss was suffered, 60 billion of it insured. Winds reached 175 miles an hour. Not many houses could have, could withstand that. Melanie's didn't. Her luck changed, however, when in 2012 she was scouted by a re- reality TV show. Sadly, the name of the show rather describes the depths to which Melanie's ho- house pride had descended. Hideous houses, selected her rather ramshackle home for a makeover, and $20,000 was spent making it nice, making it good. At last, she had a home to treasure. Well, she did for a few weeks, because then along came Isaac. Hurricane Isaac made landfall in Louisiana on 29th August 2012, a couple of weeks after the Hideous Houses programme aired. The winds at landfall were only 80 miles an hour, that 59,000 homes in Louisiana were damaged or destroyed. Of course, one of those was Melanie's. Melanie was in the house with her husband and son, Philip and Philip Jr., and her 74-year-old mother. There was a mandatory evacuation order, and we were leaving just like our neighbours, she says. We never stay for storms. I would never jeopardise my mum. She's 74 and needs dialysis, but my truck broke down. Around two o'clock in the morning, flood waters overtopped the levee, sending a 12-foot surge through Braithwaite. The family sought refuge in the attic. We thought we were going to die in that house. The water was coming up so fast. My husband used an hammer to put an hole in the roof, but it broke. We used our hands and our feet to punch the hole. A boat rescued them along with their five kittens and three dogs. Everything else was lost. I've now lost five houses to five storms, every time a wipeout. Martina seemed grateful to be alive, even perky, but knows that tears will come once waters subside and she returns to a sodden wreck. Why live in Louisiana? she pondered. I was born here. It's home, home, home. But we want to move somewhere that's illy, you know, to a house on an hill. Her desire for higher ground was sadly frustrated. She was offered money to rebuild, but the charity that offered her the money required rebuilding on the original site and would not agree to a move to a safer location. This is, of course, contrary to everything that various agencies are working towards. Rebuilding in a sustainable manner after a catastrophe is essential, not repeating the errors of the past. If you'd like, I'm happy to bore for hours on the issue of sustainable redevelopment after catastrophes, a subject upon which I'm uh, passionate. Anyway, so next summer when you hear news of hurricanes and tropical storms blowing through the Gulf States, spare a thought for Melanie, her family, and her new cat called Isaac, and pray with them that the storms don't make landfall in Louisiana. That that,
1: deserve, that deserves deserves a clap, I think there, Clive. That was that was brilliant. <clears throat> I, I I do say you, you did say that hurricanes and and tropical storms are very difficult to predict. If I was the U.S. Weather Service, I'd just sort of hire Melanie, <laughs> and, put, and chip her. <laughs> yeah. Holmes, what did you make of poor old Melanie's travails and being hunted down by a Hawker aircraft wherever she went?
4: Yeah, I mean it's certainly un- unlucky. I mean it has to be said that Clive started off by telling us an awful lot amount of hurricanes and not that much about. Um, Melanie, to be honest. I mean, at one point, I I wasn't sure whether he misunderstood the brief this week and he was talking about history's worst weather phenomenon or whether he thought he was on just a minute or something like that. But when he got into it, it was quite good. I mean, it it lacks the variety of Kate's entry, to be honest. It's obviously, you know, the poor woman was unfortunate and I presume circumstances prevented her from moving away and making her family and all those pets safe. But, um, yeah.
5: So if she'd had kind of tornadoes and an earthquake thrown in, you'd have been far happier I think it, it might have done, yeah it might have helped
1: Surely the bad luck is the same thing happening over and over again Hmm Not that I'm trying to big Clive up here because I mean, not, accents, not, but...
4: not in Fulham's case, I wouldn't have thought but there you go
1: <laughs> No, that's in, that's just insanity
8: <laughs>
1: We're even going to get beat by West Brom on Saturday, there you go no, I
8: Don't count on it <laughs>
1: Alina, are you awake?
3: I am. Funnily enough, the door went, so I kind of missed what you guys just said there. Lots of
1: weather. But
3: uh, I kind of agree with Holmes on this. Clive, I also thought you misunderstood at the beginning, and I kind of sat there going, where are are the exciting things that are supposed to be happening? Where are the, you know, tragedies and, you know, me, (laughs) sunny sunshine over here? But then I kind of wrote one sentence here. And I underlined one word about three times. Why the fuck did she not move?
5: (laughs) I suspect it's because she couldn't. Mm. Because she couldn't afford to, sadly.
4: I mean, also, you also mentioned, Clive, that what was the name of that programme? Horrible Houses? Horrible Houses or something like that? I mean, mean, if that was anything like the British changing rooms, that would have been put up in a weekend with MDF. It's not going to stand a light (laughs) breeze, let alone a hurricane.
5: But 20 grand was probably more than the rest of the house had cost.
1: I feel bad for laughing now because that's a very good point that we should all take on board.
3: Hold on, I'm just reading the kit. What do you mean? Why? Oh my god, (laughs) Kit just wrote (laughs) in the chat box, Why don't you move? says the person living in Poland. Is that this? Is that a reference to the snow? Please tell me that I'm not being dumb and completely letting this go over my head. I,
6: I, I've i I've, I've been to Poland. I've been to Warsaw, and it's it's not the kind of place that I would live out of choice in in Warsaw. I think.
3: Oh, because Warsaw's massive. You need to come out out to the beautiful country. I live right near the mountains, so can't judge that except for the snow. And and to be
1: fair. Warsaw was redesigned using high explosives, so it doesn't have a hell of a lot going for it.
3: No comment. I'm trying
1: to, I'm trying to be nice. To everybody now. I'm not even. I'm not even being judged, and I'm trying to butter up the judges. This is terrible. Uh,
5: to, to be fair, Warsaw's not in a hurricane zone nor in an earthquake zone.
1: No. See, if I was judging you, you, you got me all excited when you said hurricanes and then you started talking about weather and not airplanes. Yeah, where's where's that?
4: <laughs> I reckon if you'd have given him another five minutes, he'd have incorporated airplanes into his buildup.
1: i
5: to be I fair. The, airplanes um, to <laughs> the uh su- the sustain
1: the state sustainable rebuilding after disaster actually is one of my things that I love reading about as well. My dad spent a lot of time with in his architecture firm looking at that as well. But we can talk about that another time, Clive. That would
5: be now, good.
1: Well, while, while his belittling of a judge was is fresh in our minds, before we go for refills, we're going to go to Kit so that basically Alina can rip him a new one in about five minutes time.
6: Um, she is more than welcome to, although we're actually going to Poland for my one. Hey! Uh, or at least the, the border with Poland, uh, right on the border. Um, So many people we think of as unlucky are actually lucky, disaster strikes and they survive. So instead, I've picked a man who was without question one of the greatest scientists of his era, but who has received precisely zero credit for his discoveries due to repeated extraordinary bad luck. Uh, His name was Carl Wilhelm Schiele and he was born in 1742 in Swedish Pomerania on the border with Germany and Poland. At 14, he was sent to Gothenburg to train as a pharmacist and eventually ran his own pharmacy in Uppsala. And by the 1770s, he was a very well-respected apothecary who did a bit of chemistry on the side. Now, a quick note about science at the time. The prevailing scientific theory was called phlogiston, which is basically that everything contained a magic substance that made things burn. When the phlogiston was exhausted, the fire was put out. Now, Sheila decided to investigate this in 1774, And during his experiments, he noticed that he found something that was a gas, it turned corks yellow, and it removed color from litmus paper. As it had a bleaching ability, he called it the tongue twisting deflagestated muratic acid. He wrote to the Swedish Academy of Sciences, but unluckily, his discovery was lost in a swathe of correspondence. It was buried and overlooked. In 1807, Humphrey Davy came along, did exactly the same thing and called it chlorine. This is unlucky, but we're only getting started. The next year, Sheila detected two two substances coming off his chemical reactions, one of which he called fire air. Uh, In 1775, not wanting his correspondence to get lost this time, he wrote it in a book. But in yet another fluke, the publisher decided to delay publication until 1777 because something else had come along. And wouldn't you know it, between writing the book and having his work published, two other scientists made exactly the same discovery and took all the credit. Today, fire air is better known as oxygen. And this begins the most extraordinary run of bad luck in science history, because Shula didn't just discover chlorine and oxygen. Today, we know he also discovered barium, manganese, tungsten, molybdenum, citric acid, lactic acid, glycerol, hydrogen cyanide, hydrogen fluoride, and hydrogen sulfide. And yet he is credited with precisely None of these discoveries. Every time his letter was delayed in the post, he was ignored. Someone else came up with it shortly afterward and took the credit because they had a better rep, or he did all the work, but he couldn't find that last little bit of evidence in that gray area of science between where skill ends and luck begins. The only discovery he was credited with during his lifetime was hydrofluoric acid, hardly noteworthy in the 18th century, and a pigment called Sheila's Green. Now, if Chile had been recognized for any of these discoveries, he would have been lauded as a genius, but bad luck thwarted him at every turn. He discovered pasteurization, but as we all know, that is credited to Louis Pasteur. He created a method of mass producing phosphorus, but he didn't go as far as to put it on a match head, an an invention that is worth the equivalent of millions. Nor did he paint in his chlorine bleaching method. Had he done so, he would have been immensely wealthy. It's a small wonder that Isaac Asimov always called him Hard Luck Sheila. And bad luck continued until the end of his days. In 1785, still working away to get his big break that he'd earned 18 times over, he fell ill with kidney disease and skin disease, dying in slow agony. Now, Sheila had been tasting and smelling his chemicals to try and describe them better and therefore have a stronger case for claiming their discovery, he was that desperate. And so he may well have had arsenic, mercury, or lead poisoning. Sheila's green, that pigment he created, is high in arsenic and is best known as being the stuff that was used to coat Napoleon Bonaparte's house interiors on St Helena. But the one leading suspect in his death, aged just 43, was hydrofluoric acid. The one thing he was credited with in his life was the one thing that killed him.
1: (laughs) I like this guy. I think I think the only way you could have done that better is if you told us what Disney characters you'd um, added to to those ones. <laughs> right. Okay. Alina, how did he do? Did he redeem himself by being Poland adjacent?
3: So basically this guy was a chemical sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, before I actually get into the serious questions, can you say the Fogastiridic acid thing again?
6: Oh, the, uh, the, the deflogastated muriatic acid. Yeah, do you want one more time? Uh, the deflogastated muriatic acid. Right, you're going to have to send that to me so I can repeat that.
3: Um,
4: <laughs> Alina, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not very professional, Alina, to, uh, get <laughs> to keep pronouncing things <laughs> <it> properly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, yes, because I need to learn how to do it. Anyway, no, moving on. I, I I actually feel sorry for this guy. He is actually tugging on my heartstrings right now while my dog is drinking water in the background and creating lots of noise. Um, but yeah, he's tugging on my heartstrings. So Kit, you're right up there. Sorry, Clive um, and Kate. But yeah, Kit, you're right up there for me with this guy.
4: Kit,
1: oh, how are your heartstrings?
4: I, I like this. I thought it was a great, great story. And normally, I, I was waiting to for Kit to say, and then his idea was stolen by X and Y. But that obviously never came, so that was kind of a surprise because that does happen in these type of tales every so often.
6: So, I mean, if you want to know the, um, the, the, the Humphrey Davy is the guy that took chlorine. Um, oxygen was taken by. Joseph Priestley and Antoine Lavoisier, who were very, very famous scientists. But I kind of spared most of your listeners because there there is a huge list of them. As I said, he discovered so many different things. um, And most of them were by obscure Swedish guys that you're probably not familiar with.
4: But but Humphrey Davy, for example, didn't steal his research. He just came up, made this, came to the same conclusion independently. He
6: He came up with the same conclusion much, much later. So this guy was doing exactly the same work as everything else. No one was stealing his ideas. It's just that because of things being delayed in the post, being lost in the mail, he wasn't given the credit for doing the work that sometimes 20 years
4: earlier he had done. And then you you mentioned that he didn't apply for patents, but did patents exist around then? Or was there something similar?
6: Kind of, kind of woolly. um, And uh, yes, patents did exist, but they were kind of, it depended on the country. And one of his big disadvantages was that he was swedish and the two academies that recognized everything were either the royal society in the uk or, or in france in, in paris the uh, the french academy
4: i mean is it and, and this may, may be an ignorant question but if he'd have sort of focused on one rather than flitting around between all of them do you think he might have achieved greater prominence
6: no i i genuinely don't um so of scientists of that time the one thing that you've got to realize is that this is right at the birth of chemistry. As we know it, there's no such thing as a chemist. In fact, Antoine Lavoisier is often called the first chemist. Um, There's no sort of formalization to these kind of things. Basically people sent in papers and ideas and it was almost done on bulk. That was something that uh, Isaac Newton and Robert Hooke and Robert Boyle were were very sort of big on. Um, And so he was just, he was just doing his experiments and he was telling people what he found and even if he had just focused on one thing, he would still have had his letters being too late and someone else would have got the credit.
4: Fair enough, noted. Yeah, uh, I liked him. It's all, it's, it, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I think the others we've heard so far, you could argue that they were lucky or unlucky. As others said, I think with him, he's purely unlucky. I,
1: I do have to raise, though, he's putting a lot of faith in an embryonic postal system. <laughs> you yeah, know, we, we don't trust the Royal Mail to get something delivered on Time Radio. My postman didn't show up for two weeks.
6: Well, he, he I hope tried he's that. okay. He tried- if you're
1: listening, I hope you've recovered. But-
6: <laughs> it wasn't the only thing he tried. He, As I said, he published a book and the, and the publisher delayed publication against his knowledge um, for just over a year. And by that time, someone else had come up with the idea. Uh, he tried doing presentations at the Swedish Academy of Sciences and nobody turned up. Uh I mean it was just a catalogue of errors and unluckiness for him.
1: Yeah, but let's let's face it, there's always something interesting going on in Sweden. You know, Party Academy of Sciences, where you know the, the booze probably is a little bit watered down. You're thinking or, if
6: he was doing it in a sauna, he'd be uh it would be the hit of Stockholm.
1: Oh, can you yeah, that would be something. You know, we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna talk chemicals in a steamy environment. there you go. He's on a winner. we need be a household name now. Right. so that's uh, unbelievably for down the pub. We're about 45 minutes in and we're halfway through, which means we all might get to go to bed early tonight. <laughs> and if you're listening, that's a big thing for us. <laughs> um, so I think it's time we recharge our glasses and prepare for the homeward stretch um, and then let Chris get to bed. <laughs> and we're back. I'm on Negroni number two of the evening. So if there was any sense in this at all, it's about to disappear. Um, we've had some interesting interesting options so far this evening we've had unlucky man who wins the lottery we've had unlucky man who basically discovered chemistry um and unlucky woman who basically has got a hex on her with hurricanes so let's see what happens when we wake chris up to see what he's going to offer for us Um,
7: well uh, as usual I've, i've sailed into this with um large amounts of optimism and then lost it all because um Uh, Alina's going to stop listening because mine quickly devolves into boats. We should have uh, left the boats to the um, end. No, that's the problem. They're all the way through. Uh, (laughs) There's only two (laughs) Germans, so so it's all right. Uh, So, um, Violet Jessup um, was uh, born, uh, the oldest of six surviving children in uh, Argentina to uh, Irish immigrants. Uh, At a very young age, uh, she got um, hideous tuberculosis and almost died. um, But somehow survived um and at 16 her father died uh, due to surgical complications and her and her family had to emigrate back to England which I'm sure Dorman would argue as um was quite unlucky as well uh, she had to look after her younger younger siblings whilst her mother went to sea as a stewardess um but eventually as her mother became ill and so um Violet went to sea serving aboard uh, the Orinoco in 1908 having had to dress down and make herself look less attractive to get the job. Uh, three years later, the first of um, three concurrent major disasters happened to her. Um, but a brief, um, as um, Jennifer Anderson would say, the, the the science bit, the Olympic class liner um, was uh, the pinnacle of uh, design uh, when she, when they were first built. Um for the White Star Line, uh, again in Harland and Wolfe in Belfast, to compete with the Cunard Lines, uh, Lusitania and Mauritania. Um, they're erroneously labelled as unsinkable in, by popular memory, and there were three sisters, uh, the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Britannic. Uh, and they were considered the safest vessels afloat anywhere in the world Um, they had many safety features including uh, an improved watertight um, compartment system which meant that the first four compartments could be ripped away from the front of the ship and she'd still stay afloat Um, they also had more lifeboats on them than the british board of trade said was necessary for a ship that large and the the olympic was the first one to enter service and um violet uh, was transferred aboard to the olympic as a um as a stewardess Uh, and the first five voyages across the Atlantic went four voyages sorry went quite well but on the fifth uh the Olympic was sailing through the Solent on the 20th of September 1912 running parallel with the Royal Navy cruiser HMS Hawk well the liner turned and um they hadn't the display the amount of water that she displaced and her pure size sucked the Royal Navy cruiser into the side of the um of the liner, punching two rather large holes, flooding two watertight compartments and destroy and um, bending one of the Olympics, um, screws. But it also mashed up the, uh, ram bow of the HMS Hawk in the ensuing legal battle. Um, the, um, Royal Navy claimed that it was all white star lines fault. And, um, the company was near enough bankrupt trying to pay off the na- pay for the repairs for the Navy and take the Olympic out of service for two weeks. whilst they they tried to repair her, and then another two months while they actually had to repair her. And obviously Violet Jessup was on board. Fast forward another uh, about six months to the 10th of April 1912 as RMS Titanic pulls out of Southampton. Again, Jessup's now on board working as a a stewardess aboard there. Um, As the Titanic at 12.02, she's left the port at 12 o'clock, 12.02, her displacement sucks the SS New York City off its mooring almost hitting the titanic missing it by a clear four feet but this isn't the big the big um collision that everyone remembers titanic for i'm not going to bore everyone because everyone talked about this last week that the other week about this movie anyway so she's sinking violet jessup's brought up on deck to uh demonstrate how to put on a life jacket for the for the uh, non-english speakers who are apparently becoming a bit of a problem and again um she uh she, she manages to be put into a lifeboat with a baby thrust into her arms and again is saved. Fast forward another three years and she's now working as a stewardess um, aboard another liner uh, for, as in the, for the Red Cross. And this liner is the Britannic, the last of the Olympic class, which on the 21st of November 1915 struck a German mine <laughs> and begins to sink. Um, the captain decides that... Um, The only way to um, save the ship was there was this was in the Aegean. There was an island nearby. So he put the engines on full power and off they headed towards the towards the shore. One of the officers got a bit jittery and uh, ordered one of the lifeboats to be lowered. Um, When it hit the water, obviously, because of the churning propellers, the propeller got the lifeboat got sucked into the propeller. And most of the 30 people inside were minced alive. One of the people on board this lifeboat was Violet Jessup. Who managed to jump free at the last minute, suffering a hideous head wound, but yet again managed to survive. Um, I have sort of cut this down quite a bit. I had written quite a lot of boring stuff that you won't be interested in. Um, she continued to be a stewardess after that. After that, uh, retiring in 1950. If, if I might just there was interrupt, Chris. No further Chris. sinkings.
1: You can throw all that in because yeah. we've got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Well, no, I, I threatened earlier that this was going to be a two hour presentation with intermission and slideshow, um, but I really fear I'll, I'll, I'll lose everyone. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, basically, she, she continued her career. I mean, I did find as I was wrapping this up, though, at the last possible minute, that there was another person on board, all three Olympic class, whose name was Arthur Priest, who was also aboard the Alicantria. Um, which was serving as an auxiliary cruiser in 1916 and was sunk in action against the German Raider Greif. He then went on to the SS Donegal, which was a hospital ship, which was then torpedoed by the U-boat UC-21, and apparently might have been involved in another shipwreck in 1907. But seeing as two of those were direct German military action, I wouldn't count that as luck. Um, So although she did survive all these, and there is the argument that, you know, She was lucky to survive three horrific, well, two horrific sinkings and two really nasty near misses. But to be on the three sister ships within that short space of time, surely that has to be really quite bad luck. I mean, not falling out of the air on an airplane or having your car turn into a flamethrower, but still pretty damn bad luck for the beginning of the twentieth century.
1: Why would you keep going to sea? You think you, you you survive the first one and think, well, got lucky. You go down on the Titanic and you think maybe something's trying to tell me here that a career change is needed. Um, and then not only do you hit a mine on Olympic, you then nearly get your head chopped off by the screws.
7: And then yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty horrific. I, I would have considered a career change. Um, maybe something on land you know, be a nurse in a hospital instead anything of on that, a boat.
1: Anything that doesn't require lifeboats I think would have been a good choice for her. But um, Holmes, what do I mean, you Maybe, maybe she had
4: the foresight that, you know, in a hundred years' time or so, that people will be having discussions about history's unluckiest person on a wax cylinder or something like that. So she thought...
1: <laughs> wax cylinder would be a step up for us. I don't think we have the budget. <laughs> 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 what, what do you make of it, mate? Off you go. Judge, judge him.
4: I, I, I liked it. It was an interesting story. I mean, it was sort of following similar ones, but it has got the sort of added sparkle of the Titanic in there, to be honest. As, as others have pointed out in the chat as well, that I didn't realise suck off was quite a naval term to the extent, maybe I've been too quick to dismiss both things over the years, to be honest. <laughs> um, I also did realise that actually all three of those Olympic liners all came to harm. Presumably, the first one wasn't sunk, though. The, where the accident happened in the uh, the Solent, where it hit the naval the naval boat.
7: No, she she were, she was scrapped in uh, nineteen thirty five. Um, but she did ram a U boat, I think, at one point. But yeah, she uh, she survived everything.
8: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans.
4: And my other question is,
7: what what the fuck is a ram bow? What what is that? What's one of them? Um, well, the, the the in the late nineteenth century, uh, the mid to late nineteenth century, the um, navies considered that the best way to take out other ships would be for cruisers and destroyers to have bows modified so that they could ram other um, warships and sink them. Um, I think there was that, that, that big battle between the Austro-Hungarians and the Italians in the. In the 19th century, where they uh, rammed um the Austrian ship, the Austrians rammed the Italian ships and sank half of them, and also, that I mean, was going to be the way forward. And then they discovered that it was bollocks,
4: <laughs> but it, it, it was used by the Rebel Alliance in Rogue One as well, quite successful then. <laughs> well, <I was> like, <laughs> yes, it
7: was, yes,
4: yeah. And, and then no, Violet- they pushed the,
7: the two star destroyers together,
4: yeah. And then, and then Violet herself is it the last incident? Is the last is that the last we know of her? We don't know what happened afterwards.
7: Um, no, she she retired, um, and then uh, she wrote her bio her autobiography. Um, and she was I think she died of congenitive heart disease in 1971. But um, yeah, she um, she she was uh, they characterized in a night to remember the movie, and then they sort of stole, based characters loosely upon her in Titanic and uh, the Britannic movie TV movie. Um, but yeah, she she lived happily ever after. I think after 1915. <laughs>
1: It's not a surprise she died of heart complications because that had been a lot of stress over those three years, wasn't it? Alina, boaty yeah. things. Did you pay any attention at all?
3: Um, I did, kind of, sort of, yeah. Um, did any of this happen during the First World War?
7: Y- yes. Um, the sinking of the um, Britannic in 1915.
3: Okay. Uh, and that That's was a new
1: area of expertise, isn't it, Alina?
3: <laughs> what the, the first world war, yeah. I am, I well, I will be. I'm writing an article on the first world war, so I shall be the master. You shall all see. Beth does not look impressed. <laughs> I'm very impressed, I'm really proud of you. I'm actually absolutely terrified, just so you all know. <laughs> no, but no, um, do you know what? I, I do, I do like this story, but it's not kind of it's. It's not hitting the spot, not as much as uh, Kit's science kind of hit the spot right there. You know that that kind of amazing spot in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it is Bowie, so it does get a slight, tiny minus point from me, but still an interesting story.
1: I, I I'm I'm afraid I, I zoned out because I googled HMS Hawk af, af, after her sort of. Kissing with the Olympic, not not a good career mm. for her either. Took on mail and promptly got herself sunk by a U boat. But
7: U boat, no, uh, the U nine, which sank uh, the Cressies in the um, in the uh, Channel,
1: all on the same day, wasn't it? Anyways, uh, yeah, that's,
7: the three Wiki-
1: that's, the w- that's Wikipedia. Uh, shows the level yeah. of my research for this. <laughs> right. I liked that. that. That was that was boaty. It meant we got a Titanic reference in, which made everybody want to sort of kill themselves. Um, so let's <laughs> let's let's go for for Beth. Let's see what she she's got for us, um, and save the eventual winner for last because Charlie always <laughs> wins. Let's
8: face it.
9: <laughs> so loser.
1: Yes. Very
8: <laughs> right. Yeah, like when Charlie's got like that glimmer in her eyes, it's like. I'm going to leave now because there's no point even trying.
1: <laughs> to be um, fair, I was hoping Chris was going to finish sooner so we could get to mid cream egg, but unfortunately he went on it. <laughs>
8: yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I've gone with a very similar sort of theme of people having very disastrous things happen to them, but like Clive from a a, a meteor. Uh, now I'm not going to try and say that word at the moment. Meteorological from a weather perspective. So, the person I've gone for is a gentleman by the name of Roy Cleveland Sullivan. Now, he was born in Green County, Virginia, on February the 7th, 1912. Eventful year, but an uneventful day, and in Virginia, probably in some little backwater. What makes him special, though, is the place where he worked. He started working as a ranger at Shenandoah National Park in 1936, and a good job, you know, reputable, kept him good in employment. It's what happened to him whilst he was in that park. Sullivan was described as a brawny man and he was described with as having a broad, rugged face and resembling the actor Gene Hackman. He was avoided by people later in his life because of the many series of events that happened to him. And the reason that Roy Sullivan is such an unlucky person is that he is credited, he is documented as being hit by lightning seven times. And that is just the ones that he's documented with. There are potentially others, but the seven are the ones that he can actually prove. So the first one, his first documented one, happened in April 1942. And it says that he was hiding from a thunderstorm in a fire lookout tower in the park. The tower was newly built and had no lightning rod at the time and had already been hit seven or eight times. He ran out and just a few feet away received what he considered to be his worst of the lightning strikes. It burned a half inch strip all along his right leg, hit his toe and left a hole in his shoe. He then had a bit of a break, an extended break, you know, thinking, oh, hit hit once, maybe not happen again. He was then next hit in July 1969, where he was hit whilst he was inside his vehicle, driving along the road inside the park. And the metal body of the vehicle, um, which normally you use to protect vi- uh, people, you know, from crashes and whatnot, um, actually carried the lightning around and a science term here for Kit by acting as a Faraday cage. Ooh. The lightning first hit nearby trees and was deflected into the open window of his truck. So it hit a tree, didn't even hit him, hit a tree and then hit him through the open window of his car. The strike knocked him unconscious, burned off his eyebrows and his eyelashes and set his hair on fire. And then the uncontrolled truck kept moving until it stopped near a cliff edge didn't go off stopped near the cliff edge in July 1970 he wasn't even in the park he was in his front garden at home when the lightning hit a nearby power transformer and from there jumped to his left shoulder searing his left shoulder I imagine quite like a nice piece of steak um he had another little gap spring 1972 Working again inside the national park when he was struck again, set his hair on fire and he tried to smother the flames with the jacket. He rushed to the restroom but could not fit his head under the water tap and so used a wet towel instead. He said although he was never a fearful man, after the fourth strike he began to believe that some force was trying to destroy him and he acquired a fear of death. For months whenever he was caught in a storm while driving his truck he would pull over and lie down on the front seat until the storm had passed he also began to believe oh notes come back he also began to believe that he would somehow attract lightning to himself even if he was stood amongst a group of people he was that afraid of it and so just in case just in case he always carried a bucket of water with him wherever he went The fifth instance on August the 7th, 1973, again out on patrol in the park, he saw a storm cloud coming in the distance and drove away quickly. But the cloud, he said, seemed to be following him when he finally thought he had outrun it. He decided it was safe to leave the truck. Soon after, he was struck by a lightning bolt. He stated that he never actually saw, he actually saw the bolt that hit him rather than just it appearing and hitting him. He actually saw it come towards him and it moved down his left arm and left leg and knocked off his shoe. It then crossed over to his right leg just below the knee and still conscious, he crawled back to his truck and with his trusty bucket of water, poured it over himself because he was on fire again. His next one, sixth on June the 5th, 1976, Injured his ankle. He reported that he was he had seen the cloud forming. Thought it was following him. Again, he's very paranoid, this guy. Tried to run away, but was struck anyway. And again, his hair caught on fire. I would just shave my head at this point, I think. And then his last instance. On Saturday morning, June the 25th, 1977, Sullivan was struck while fishing at a freshwater pool. The lightning hit the top of his head set his hair on fire again, travelled down and burnt his chest and stomach. Sullivan turned back to his car when something unexpected then happened on top of all of this. A bear approached to the pond and tried to steal trout from his fishing line. He had the courage and the strength to strike the bear with a tree branch to get him away and claimed that this was the 22nd time he had hit a bear with a stick in his lifetime. All in all, I think this is a pretty unique life. As I said, people started to avoid him because they didn't want to be around him in case they were going to be hit by the lightning. In fact, he once recalled, I was walking with the chief ranger one day when lightning struck way off in the distance. The chief said, I'll see you later. And then to top all of this off, on the morning of the September the 28th, 1983, Sullivan died at the age of 71, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He didn't even die because of the lightning. He actually, yeah, self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. All in all, I think that is the most eventful life. But how how unlucky do you have to be to be hit by lightning seven times and then have bears and other, oh, just...
9: What an unlucky fellow. The that... twist at the end.
8: Oh. <laughs> Gunshot wound. <laughs> got, expect him to say, no, nope, killed by lightning. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> I thought he was going to get eaten by a bear. <laughs> yeah, 23rd time unlucky. I, I like people getting hit by lightning stories. My favorite ones, what well, Lee Trevino, the golfer, got hit on in the middle of a tournament in 1975. And he was asked years later what, what he would do if he was caught on the golf course with um, during a lightning storm. And he said he'd pull his one iron out of the bag and hold it up because not even God can hit a one iron, um, <laughs> which is true. Um, right. Alina, how are you on the lightning stakes? Was it sparky for you?
3: Well- it's a really good story actually and it's really sad that he ends up killing himself because he just he just can't take it anymore and i get that i was wondering if kit can do some sciencey explaining shit because when it comes to science i'm really really stupid um kit was he just unlucky or was there is there a scientific reason behind why he's getting struck by lightning
6: yeah don't don't walk walk about in a fucking lightning storm um Well, well, li- li- lightning wants to, to to earth itself as fast as possible and one of the best ways to do it is the lovely electrolytes that are flowing through your body so it's looking for something um that's why we use lightning rods there's a metal that's you know it can go it can be earthed very very quickly but if you're walking around dressed as a park ranger, who are known to have metal badges you are basically a walking lightning conductor you are the nearest thing that the lightnings want to go want, wants to go to
8: i mean it's kind of in his job description being a park ranger he kind of has to be out and
6: about <laughs> so, you know, so, so, so picking picnic baskets from yogi or wherever.
4: You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well we've got kit on kit, at one point i think was it the second incident or the third where oh, the faraday cage well, I didn't know if that was separate, but there was one bit where it said that the car hit a tree and then it bounced in through an open window. Can that happen? I mean, I'm not a man of science, as you know, but uh, I mean that—that uh, that to me is
6: physics. Yeah, it could happen, I guess. Um, oh, 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 you mean the lightning? Yeah, yeah. You get a phenomenon called ball lightning, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. So, yeah, that is that is possible. But um, I would have thought with a car, it would be more likely to. To go through the chassis, just given it's metal.
4: Um, is is there a Beth? How verified are these accounts? Because a bit of me, slightly thinking, especially with the you know the twenty-two fights with a bear. A bit of me, slightly thinking Munchausen syndrome here, a little bit.
1: Well, to be um, fair, no one believed him, Holmes. So he shot himself.
8: <laughs> <laughs> I think.
4: Does that, uh, does that reinforce my cynicism or or, or reject it? Yeah.
8: Well, I think it was. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's this mention of there's not much detail on it, but there is mention of him having to go to hospitals and uh, and get himself checked out. So that would I would just uh, say that assumes some sort of validity if he's had to go and get him checked out for it.
4: Well, I mean, you can. It does kill people being hit by lightning. It I does. mean, the chances there's, of I've hit by some... lightning seven times, I guess. Yeah.
8: I've got some stats from here as well. And it said um, the odds of being struck by lightning, um, if you take, like, as a human life as being 80 years as an example, um, roughly estimated to be one in 10,000. And then the probable, if um, the probability of being hit seven times, like, I don't even know what the number is. It says, like, one. I, I don't even know how, how you pronounce it. It's got lots of zeros, basically. Far too many zeros than you would expect. It's got like to the power of 28 kind of thing. Power of 28? Yeah, it says one <laughs> semicolon 10 power of 28.
6: Okay. Um, so uh, 10 to the 23 is what's, what's called Avogadro's number. Uh, and at that point, you're getting to the point that there is like one atom in a solar system. Um, you know, so 10 to the 28 is ridiculous. Very, yeah. very unlikely.
4: So, and also his injuries. I mean, we've, we've said that it can kill you, but his injuries, for the most part, tended to be a bit cartoony. Just like burnt hair, toe, shoe—it damage to his shoe yeah. as well.
8: Is it? He had a, one of them said it did a, a band around his leg as well, like a band, like a burn. I mean, but I'm, I'm sure I read somewhere in separately to this that if you're struck by lightning, it does actually cut your life expectancy. So the fact that he still got to the age of, what was he, 71 as well? Because, you know, regardless of I mean, whether so, or not so, it was a big one.
5: 71 is really old.
8: <laughs> <laughs> regardless of whether or not you get, like, the, just the fact that, like, other than the fact that he had all these lightning strikes, he, he lived, like, in spite of the lightning strikes, he still lived to 71.
4: There was a, When I was at school, when I was eight, there was a kid in my class who's Apparently whose granddad got struck by lightning through a window. So ever since then, when it's thunder and lightning, I always go around and shut our bathroom window because you you never know.
9: Yeah, exactly. You never know. Here's another another explanation. You know, obviously we've had we've had Kit come in with the science brain, but what about you yeah, know let's let's go back into the the kind of medieval brain. What did he do to piss off God? <laughs> That's a vengeful God. He got struck. By lightning, like in a cartoon, when somebody you know says something bad about the Pope, yeah, what's
1: what down? He, do? what, what? Well, he, <laughs> he, like he clearly only pissed him off a little bit because it was like a little jolt each time, just enough to piss him off, not enough to kill him. Well, if you like, look like at Hitler not, not been me, hit
9: by lightning, Hitler not hit by lightning, Trump. <laughs> Not hit by lightning.
4: What yeah, all, it, all, it need, all it needed? Yet. was Hitler to invent. He do what he did, and then invent stories about him fighting
5: bears. Twenty <laughs> <laughs> <A different point. laughs> Maybe it. maybe it's the world of Marvel comics, where he's struck by lightning so many times he developed superpowers and can fight bears. <laughs> yeah.
9: <laughs> Amazing, guys, Fair I man! Think,
5: I think I've actually
6: solved something else. Something
9: else completely.
6: I think I've actually solved the mystery <laughs> oh, because but... <laughs> I, I, I found a picture of Roy Sullivan, and he's got a fucking lightning rod on his hat. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I'm going to send this to the group. <laughs> <It's not fucking
2: laughs> this.
1: You, you you know that's the newspaper photographer going, I know it's gonna make a great shot, where this and he's like, I don't want to tempt it.
8: <laughs> and I, I suppose what just as a coming back to Holmes's point about like proof or whatnot, he is recognised by Guinness World Records as being the person most struck by lightning. So I'm sure they would have to have had some sort of proof for that. Yeah, I guess but, I, I, but
1: come I've on, you just have to build a big horse to get into into Guinness Book of Records these days. I've seen the John Oliver episode.
5: <laughs> On the Google Images page of Roy, Roy Sullivan, um, among two other Roy Sullivans who have been struck by lightning, there's also Roy Sullivan, Iowa, Iowa Sex sexoffender.gov And unfortunately, he bears remarkable resemblance to Dr. Kit.
6: <laughs> I, I can assure you that I am certainly not that chap. Um, Roy Cleveland Sullivan the the park ranger was looking at him. he died in Dooms Virginia that's where he lived oh shit
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: to to the listener we're all now actively googling lightning strikes and giggling to ourselves madly <laughs> i i think that i think that was pretty good not wanting to sort of sway anything here and yeah, a good a good lightning Way strike away. always makes everybody a little bit smiley doesn't it um okay let's see who have we got well we have our eventual winner um, <laughs> to do um for those of you who don't know charlie always wins when when i joined down the pub so let's see whether or not she can keep her streak up i think she came third one week but i'm just putting that down as a win as an anomaly <laughs> So, Charlie, what have you got for us? You're last up, so it, it better be good. No pressure.
9: Okay, yeah, no, no pressure or anything. This is just because you're a you're a sore loser. I don't always win. I just always beat you. Um, <laughs> so, I want to talk about possibly the last man to enter Parliament with honest intentions and nominate Guy Fawkes as history's unluckiest bastard. Guy Fawkes was born in 1570 in York and at some point in his teenage years converted to Catholicism, possibly under the influence of his mother's second husband or as a result of schooling. And by 21, he'd sold off his inherited estates and gone off to fight with the Spanish against the Protestant Dutch. Now, at this point, it had only been five years since the Spanish Armada. Elizabeth I was on the throne. And though England weren't allied with the Dutch, you know, explicitly in this particular conflict, a state of war was still in existence between England and Spain in some form. Let's just say that the optics of fighting for the Spanish were not good in Protestant England. Now, this is an interesting historical sidebar from a Yorkist and a Ricardian. Fawkes travelled to Spain to fight under the command of one Sir William Stanley. Stanley had been sent by Elizabeth to raise troops in Ireland with her favourite, the Earl of Leicester. These troops were to go to the Netherlands and fight back the Spanish. But Stanley surrendered and switched sides and joined the Spanish. Elizabeth should have known, never trust a Stanley. If you know, you know. Back to Fawkes. By 1603, he'd been recommended for a captaincy in the Spanish army. James I was now on the throne of England and Scotland as well, and let's just say that Guy wasn't a fan. He approached the Spanish for their assistance in launching a Catholic uprising in England to remove the king, who he believed to be a heretic. He was especially upset about the new links between England and Scotland, despising the thought of the King's Scottish favourites being in power and fearing that they intended to wipe out all Catholics out of England. The Spanish King wasn't really up for getting involved but he wished Fawkes all the best with it. Back home in England the following year is when things really started to heat up. On the 20th of May, 1604, Fawkes met with four other men of similar mind at the Duck and Drake pub in London. They had big dreams of assassinating King James and replacing him with his daughter, Princess Elizabeth, who would have been just shy of about eight years old at the time. We can take as implied that the conspirators would also have planned to assassinate her elder brothers, Henry, Prince of Wales and Charles, Duke of York, the eventual Charles I. Down the pub that evening were Robert Catesby, leader of the gang, Thomas Wintour, John Wright, Thomas Percy and the new guy, Guy Fawkes. They swore an oath over a prayer book and found that a priest acquaintance was hiding in another room. So they managed to have a little Eucharist too. All was kind of coming together. The best idea that they had had was to kill the king by blowing him up in the houses of Parliament. Parliament wasn't due to sit until February 1605. So they still had a good few months to firm up their plan and to put everything into action. Then the plague flared up and Parliament was delayed until October 1605. So they stayed home, saved the NHS, and watched a load of Netflix. No, they didn't do that really. They may or may not have started tunnelling. Now, it's a weird point that never seems to have been agreed upon. We don't know whether they did manage to tunnel under the Houses of Parliament. Tunnels were never found. Um, They were mentioned in the eventual trial, spoiler, but we don't really know, and they weren't experienced in mining, so... They may not have done that, but the conspirators did need to get barrels of gunpowder underneath the building. They planned to lease an undercroft beneath the House of Lords, which was an easy enough thing to do, but they needed to be able to stuff it full of barrels of gunpowder without arousing suspicion. The Parliament building at that time was adjoined by other smaller buildings, businesses supplying the building, etc. And it was the undercroft of one of these that the conspirators identified as being perfect because it sat right beneath the House of Lords. Then they were actually able to get the barrels in pretty easily, some might say too easily. Over the summer months, Forks smuggled 20 barrels here, 16 barrels there, trying not to look too obvious as the supply of gunpowder was regulated. Having said that, it's easy enough to get anything obtained illegally. Parliament was delayed again until Tuesday the 5th of November, and across that long, busy and boring summer of waiting and preparing, five conspirators ballooned to around 13, the brother of this one, the friend of that one. And as the attack, of, the date of their attack drew closer, more and more people knew of the plan for Guy Fawkes to ignite the powder and escape across the Thames. Some started to worry about the collateral damage of the explosion and warned close Catholic friends not to attend the opening of Parliament for ah, no reason. A letter remains to this day from one Francis Tresham brought to the conspiracy by Robert Catesby himself in October 1604 and he wrote to an acquaintance of his Lord Monteagle my Lord out of the love I bear to some of your friends I have a care of your preservation therefore I would advise you as you tender your life to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this parliament for God and man have concurred to punish the wickedness of this time. And think it not slightly of this advertisement, but retire yourself to your country, where you may expect the event in safety. For though there shall be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow this Parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them. This council is not to be condemned because it may do you good, and can do you no harm. For the danger is past as soon as you have burnt this letter." And I hope God will give you the grace to make good use of it, to whose holy protection I commend you. The conspirators were aware of this letter. They'd had it from Monteagle's household that the letter had been disregarded as a hoax and not taken seriously. So they went ahead with the plan. And round about this time, they had a lovely drawing done of all of them with their names written on it. But Monteagle did not burn the letter. He handed it over to Robert Cecil, spymaster general for Elizabeth I and James I, the word blow causing some alarm. Cecil showed the letter to the king on the 1st of November, 1605. He was concerned as any man whose father had been killed in an explosion and then found outside strangled would be. They waited until early on the 5th of November in the dead of the night before parliament was due to be opened, searched the Undercroft and found Guy Fawkes, with 36 barrels of gunpowder and several slow matches in his pocket. Fawkes was arrested. He gave a false name, but was tortured for days until he confessed to the name that they knew that was his because he'd got a letter addressed to himself about his person. And he also gave up the names of all of his co-conspirators. Eight of the 13 or so who planned this bungle stood trial on the 27th of January, 1606, Fawkes among them. He pleaded not guilty, despite being as guilty as a puppy next to a pile of poo, the man of his capture set up by Cecil, who allowed him just enough rope to hang himself. All were sentenced to a traitor's death. Fawkes was the last up to the noose. His body was so broken by torture that his neck broke instantly and he was killed outright. This was definitely Fawkes' luckiest moment. His body was courted and mutilated anyway, as a warning to others. Unlucky? Unintelligent? I think Guy Fawkes is a pretty strong contender for history's unluckiest bastard, as he's still being burnt for his crimes once a year, every year, year upon year, until this very day.
1: And we lose points for sound effects You know no. that I'm in charge Charlie no. You use them to beat me in the sports <laughs> thing. It's not going to happen again I, I I know I'm not judging this one but I'm going to To try to sway <laughs> the judges to make sure you don't win um, I just think he was an idiot He was easily swayed He was led along by the naughty Knicks And you know now he's just sort of remembered by alt-right oh, loonies wearing a mask from a far better comic book that nobody quite understood when they read it to start using his mask for other things and they anyways, made a I'm, boring
9: I'm, boring film out of it
1: oh it's a terrible film um, you know what's it remembered for what's her name shaving her head anyways <laughs> Alina what did you make of Guido Fox trying very very badly to blow up a Scotsman who is pretending to be an Englishman
3: Well, I, I love Charlie. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm trying to be super nice here because I can't be, it's like being mean to a puppy, a bit like Beth.
9: (laughs) I can take it. Come on, Alina, lay it on me.
3: I can't, I can't. It's, 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 I just can't be mean to the puppy. It's, it's, it's banned. So what I'm going to say was that was a very interesting and well-argued point. Um, but unfortunately I, I slightly do agree with uh with Matt. Uh he's a dick.
1: <laughs> Me or Guy Fox?
3: Can I say <laughs> am I allowed? Is that possible?
1: You're you're the boss, you can say what you want.
3: Oh yes. Oh yes. No, anyway, moving on. I think I think we should move on to homes now.
4: <laughs> I mean it was it was incredibly well argued. I, I'm sort of with the others on this, really. There wasn't, in his life, there wasn't that much unluckiness about it. He knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't just find himself there with the, with the weird match, whatever it was in his hand. Um, it was all planned and part of it. I, I see where you're coming from. I always find it, it's slightly unlucky in terms of his reputation. And as you say, he was getting burnt every year. And perhaps the other unlucky if there is an unlucky aspect, it's that he's known as the whole ringleader throughout where he wasn't. It was Catesby. He was quite a, a junior part in the whole operation. So there is an element of unluckiness for that. I mean, I'm sure his direct descendants sort of have to make themselves scarce between the fourth and sixth of November <laughs> every year. <laughs> Can't come for the bonfire, we're busy, that type of thing. But um yeah, it's not not quite as convincing as some of the others this week for me.
9: She's still smiling. I I don't mind. I don't mind. I I think he, I think he was unlucky. Whether he was history's unluckiest, having heard some of the ones that we've heard tonight, I, you know, I I humbly, um, you know, bow down to some of the unlucky bastards we've had he's just the first person that came to my head you know that's the fun thing about these these challenges when you're asked who do you think is history is unlucky as bastard there's just something about him being there with that match yeah we obviously it wasn't a lit match because it'd be a very different story but with a match in his hand that sort of image we have and the fact that he was absolutely set up to be there by Cecil at that point they knew about this a long time ago there's enough you know they talk about chatter that we have now they all to say oh we've got we've got chatter with this group or that group and they know they've been spies operating in this country since year dot and they would have had people in enough catholic groups you know that the recusant sort of underground um, Catholic rebels they would have known about this for for months because they weren't subtle they were terrible they were awful awful plotters and they just let it go on until they'd got absolute proof
4: i mean it's sort of lacking a little bit of slapstick there's no burned hair <laughs> being chopped up by a battleship a boat propeller nothing like that
9: <laughs> i can talk about you know the the lovely process of having a traitor's death if you like cuz that's been my day
1: you you have spent you have spent all day looking up people getting hung drawn and quartered. But before we get to the, the, the realities of that, Clive keeps lifting his microphone to his face and putting it down. And underneath the porn lights, that is a very
3: strange image. Do you, do
2: you want to hear
4: this? I'm so glad this is not being filmed and put on YouTube. I mean that that is a microphone, isn't it? It's not one of the things that Alina put a photo of up on earlier.
1: <laughs> this is not BBC
5: Wales, Clive. <laughs> Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Novelty (laughs) mic. Magic (laughs) mic. Go on then, Clive. Actually, I've just noticed that we've had the last of our presentations and Beth's knees haven't made an appearance yet. This is really quite shocking.
3: She's not
5: drunk enough, I don't think. Yeah. They normally not pop right. out for about three hours. That's
4: a, that's probably one.
1: <laughs> but we have had the inside of a cream egg getting sucked out, so that probably makes up for it.
8: <laughs> it's like the ice lolly all over again. <laughs> is, yeah.
1: Mark Marcus is. I can hear him sort of desperately trying to dial in as we speak. <laughs> oh, I, I think. Marcus. I think for. I think for fun, we should talk about getting drawn and quartered and give the the judges a few minutes to decide that you know Charlie's probably the winner because she already always is but <laughs> We, we've had we've had the science of getting struck by lightning multiple times. What is the science of getting chopped into four pieces? Because it's not as simple as that, is it?
9: No. Nope. So you start off in the noose. If you're if you Guy Fawkes, you actually get dragged as well. So if you were I mean someone like Catesby who was, you know, let's let's just be honest, he was he was quite posh. Um, if you're someone like Fawkes who is a nobody, uh, you can be dragged to your place of execution by horse or and you know literally a rope tied around you and you're dragged there along the ground when you get there you are strung up in a noose and you are hanged for a little while Um, not until you're dead though because that would spoil everybody's fun then you're cut down and sliced open from you know the bottom of your stomach to the top of your chest, and everything is pulled out and thrown on a fire in front of you so that you can you know, see it. And that's when the crowd goes absolutely wild because people watched this because everyone was disgusting. So they watch this having a great time. Then, pre Netflix days, pre Netflix, then your genitals are cut off also and thrown in that fire. Then finally what they do is they chop off your head and your arms and your legs and distribute those pieces around town, put them on display so that everybody knows not to fuck with the king or the queen. It's different if you're a woman. Uh, the traitor's death for a woman is burning. So women were not um, subjected to this, presumably because they didn't have external genitals to be cut off. So that sort of spoiled a little bit of the fun for the, the viewers. So they were burnt instead. Weren't we Lovely. Wasn't there, a, with,
8: with, a, a few years ago, wasn't there a series on the BBC? And what, what, what was his name? Was in it? Kit Harrington.
9: Yes, yeah. It was, was, it, was
8: it about Catesby or was it about... It
9: was. He was Catesby, I think.
8: There was, was a bit in it. I remember watching it. I watched the first episode and I couldn't watch it because I was so, like, it was so graphic. Like, oh, what was the name of the woman? And they
9: crushed the... Oh, no. Oh, Pressing, yeah. So they, they would press you under heavy weights but
8: they put like a stone and oh man can be shiver it's now like horrific. putting a stone underneath your back and then you lay on top of it or something
9: Ugh. it's really horrible yeah. and, you know all of the all of the information they got out of guy fawkes they got through days and days of horrific torture and this was this was just what we did this was this was the way it worked, and yeah. Well, was part rat- of
4: that, we've we found the barrels of gunpowder. Now tell us where the Catherine wheels are. Was that? <laughs>
9: <laughs> we want sparklers. Where are the sparklers? <laughs> I'll never tell you. Uh, I mean, doesn't
1: you Kit Harrison claim he's, he's descended death? from Kate
6: Bear in mind Is where you get the word Catherine him, wheel from. It. Saint Catherine was tied to a wheel and <laughs> sort of set on fire. Yeah, a yeah. lot well,
9: about about bonfire night that when you actually start, when you start explaining to a friend who's not from this country, what what this is about and what it actually signifies and, and all of that stuff. Interestingly, I didn't realize that we didn't start burning the Pope, you know, effigies of the Pope until 1673, it was the year that the Duke of York, later James II came out as a Catholic and people were not very happy about their heir apparent being Catholic. So they started burning popes. So that was that was that.
1: Penny, we yeah, as a Canadian, Guy Fawkes night's always been a bit strange for me. And I remember saying, you know, what are you doing? Well, you're essentially ensuring that someone is still burning in, in hellfire, which yeah, is always nice to do on a nice November evening. But the penny bit. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. Going around and trying to get a bit of cash out of randoms before you set fire to your yeah. Where's the penny? Does anyone know where the penny for the guy came from? Is that it was just of, getting, it was just a way of
5: collecting it, money to buy fireworks.
1: Nice. We, you know, we've got the guy. We don't have matches. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair dues. Fair dues. Right. Okay. I think I'm going to go for the record of the shortest down the pub ever because let's let's face it. Yeah, I, I have a message from the other boss lady who says, "Sometimes you go down the pub; it's only a few people there, and it's still a laugh." Yeah. No, I can go along with that. She yeah. she voted according to our chat here for Lady Jane Grey, which I think is a pretty good shout, actually. Mm. Um, and I was supposed got, oh, to argue it, but I got really? lazy
3: and I couldn't be bothered.
1: Okay, in, in, in that case, she, she won't
4: know. She won't know.
3: She she got she got fun. good painting
1: out of it though.
6: The, the painting was lady jane gray that is not Alina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
9: very very inaccurate yeah, Matt, but, some people
5: go down to the, and, some people go down to the pub and sit in the corner for four or five hours drinking to them by themselves and just muttering we could have done that
1: <laughs> in, in, in my in my local there used to be a guy that used to sit in the corner with with his headphones on and he used to have like the um the friday night gigs on bbc4 playing and after about three pints he'd start singing along so we used to play what's on bbc4 and we'd sort of all go around trying to guess what it was until you know someone nailed it and still one of the better versions of bowie starman i've ever heard in a pub
9: amazing i love the random guy in the pub because um the first date that chris and i ever went on we ended Chris up. Chris was
1: the random guy.
9: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. This is this is really romantic. You're gonna love this because I know you love romance. So there was a, a guy at the end of the bar started talking to us. You know, we're having our glass of wine on our first date. It's like, okay, we kind of want to talk to each other. Anyway, he tapped tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, "Excuse me, he loves you." And Chris just went absolutely pale and just said, "Excuse me, mate. You know, first date, trying to." Take it slow and play it cool. He said, No, no, no. He said, I don't mean to be weird. He said, I just see these things. I'm gonna dance at your wedding. Never saw him again. Never knew who the guy was, but <laughs> <laughs> isn't that crazy?
1: Totally bonkers. I, I was hoping for a better end to that, saying yeah, and you man. had the first answer. We couldn't stop it? him. He just went running straight out into the We pool.
9: would have, we would have invited the weird drunk guy who told us we were gonna get married when we got married. But, yeah.
1: I have the opposite sort of that. I remember a first date and a mate of mine used to run the experimental cocktail club in Chinatown. And um, I took this, this girl there, and we, we were chatting away and this guy that was at the bar with this leant over and went first date. And we, and went, yeah, he went, will there be a second? And it was <laughs> definitely quiet. And to my ever loving credit of my mate, Alex, he, saw that he laughed and he poured me a large shot of uh, bourbon put it down in front of me and went well there's there's no there's gonna be no second date we won't give her a shot then will we? <laughs> any 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 chance that i had there immediately disappeared but it was it was decent bourbon um, and then she she thanked me very much for dinner and for in, guessing her into the ecc which she'd never been able to get into left and then we had a lock-in
2: Hey.
1: So it, it was a good date for me. But good. there we go. Right. <laughs> Let's do this. Clive, who would you vote for tonight if you if you were in the
5: hot seat? I think I'd have to go for Beth's electricity man. Ooh, okay.
3: That's uh, shocking.
5: Oh, <laughs> oh
3: it
1: just go. struck me. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, you've you've been very quiet. Are you still with us? What who would you vote for?
0: I'm here. Yeah, I'm still here. I am um... I've been multitasking.
1: Like um, to hear. I
0: would. I have been listening. I have been listening. I um. I would have to pick Kit's um, unfortunate scientist because there seemed to be a lot of mishaps and and misjudgments and bad luck and and just a lot of stupidity as well. But his was really the one who was the most unlucky. I think.
1: Or the man who couldn't figure out how many stamps to put on his letter.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
1: Chris, what about you? What do you reckon?
7: Um, I've kind of got... I was quite torn between um, Beth's and Kate's just because of the sheer bad luck of the two. But um, the one one that made me laugh the most is probably I'm going to have to go with Kit because that just had me in stitches.
1: Oh, there we go. We've got two two for Kit so far. Um, Charlie, what about you? Uh,
9: Well, I think a lot of the stories tonight have shown that there's a very fine line between unlucky and lucky so to have been struck by lightning that many times is unlucky but to have survived very very lucky and um kate's as well you know he he won the lottery he's he's doing all right um so for me it's got to be hard luck sheila because that that is supremely unlucky but then also there's a part of me that thinks certain amount of it is just that he's really shit at admin and I have no time for people who <laughs> can't do their admin but yeah, hard luck Sheila if you can sort me out with some bleach from my roots I would be very happy
1: And Beth, what about you?
8: Um, I think I would have to go with Kit as well I think it's just so like everything went wrong for that poor fellow Oh <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Oh well, I think I think from from the, you know, the popular vote it's kid, but this isn't popular. This is down straight to our judges who are going to vote for Charlie.
9: <laughs> <laughs> this is not a democracy.
1: <laughs> so Holmes and Alina, do do you agree with with the public who have all paid their 50p phone calls to to dial that one in? Um
4: if I, if I go first and tell you that we've got Kate in third place. Uh, we, this is a unanimous decision for the top three this week. I mean, oh, wow. okay. I think Kate started and it was quite a high bar. There was a lot of variety in the, the unluckiness there. So that was quite good. And then I think Chris in second, uh, there's not as much variety, but it has got the sort of Titanic stardust about it. And there's a bit of variety in the, you know, there are elements of an unluckiness that we quite enjoyed as well. Okay. Well,
3: so... I, I've got to do the first one. So, I'm really happy to announce that the person who has got first place is Marcus. Sorry, Kit. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: hey, it wasn't Charlie. I'm happy.
3: <laughs> I think my joke might be getting a bit lame now. I think it's run its course. That'll be the last time I'll be using that one.
1: That, that's all right. He would be here, but he's intimidated by me. So he didn't show up.
4: I, I think Kit was embodied. <laughs> he was the unluckiest one. You know, the rest I think is Charlie dead. Oh our degrees, it could have been luck or or bad luck. But I think with uh, kits, it was just serial unluckiness.
5: And he tugged on my heartstrings. But but spare a thought for Beth, Charlie and me, who in a field of six fell outside the top three. Now that really (laughs) is unlucky.
9: That's harsh. We didn't even place, guys. Well,
5: I mean, uh, 10 minutes of yours was weather, Clive. You know, that was... I'm trying to educate, give context.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, when the accents came out, I thought you were shooing for top three, Clive. But what do I know?
5: <laughs> and I wasn't going to do
9: sound effects until you did accents. So
1: the
5: I did download off. a sound effects app, but I couldn't do accents and sound effects at the same time. <laughs> It'd be like walking and chewing gum. <laughs>
8: Evidently, I need to. I need. To- up my game as well. So I think from next week, the knees are going to have to come out right from the beginning.
9: <laughs> There's definite points for knees.
7: Uh, I'll <laughs> have to put the mankini back, back on then. No,
1: yeah, that, that,
2: that, That's the that, winner that right points.
9: there.
1: Right. So there, there we go. We, we have Swedish scientist who doesn't know how to put postage on his, on his mail and he clicked. <laughs> clearly has the same effect on his um his book publishers as we do. Um so it's um we have a winner kit. Congratulations. Do you want to take a turn because face it this is the quickest down the pub we've done in years. So um what would you like to say in your moment of triumph before I cut you off by stopping the recording?
6: I I I I I don't know. Um thank you very much for for letting me win on something that isn't pervy for once. Um <laughs>
1: I'm sure Amelia is delighted with your victory. Uh,
6: I'll ask (laughs) it (laughs) tonight.
1: Right. Well, in that case, let's, let's, we've been flogging a dead horse for an hour and a bit. Let's, let's put a bullet in its head and call it an evening and go to bed because poor old Chris has to be up again in a few hours. And um, we we don't, we don't like to do that to the aged. Um, (laughs) don't leave me here on my own Um, yeah, so there we go. That's that's down the pub for this week. Thank you, everybody. Um, our next History Hack episode is uh, looks a fascinating one. It's the first Jewish female transport to Auschwitz when Heather McAdam joins us. Um, look out for that one tomorrow. Please do all the usual liking, subscribing and find us on Patreon where you can give us your money to pay for the booze. So please listening. We'll be back again next week. Um, i not sure who's going to be in the chair. And if it's me again, I apologize in advance. So thanks everybody. And we'll catch you next time. In 2020, when the boss ladies, Alex and Alina, started History Hack, the world was very strange. And unfortunately, it looks like 2021 is going to be equally strange. We would love it if you're able to support the podcast in any way. It will allow us to keep up the regularity of the pods and also the great guests that we've been able to bring you over the last year. We exist on Patreon as History Hack and also on Podbean, our podcast host's own platform called Patreon. The reward tiers are being updated at the moment, so there's going to be some fantastic options for you to choose from. So if you're able to support us, that would be fantastic. So we thank you very much, and until the next time, bye.